Hello and welcome to Truth Incorporated podcast where we spread uncensored biblical truth. Um, in the last episode, we looked at a general overview of the Bible, of its layout, of its authors, etc. And we said that we'd give a more detailed look as to what proofs are there out there that the Bible is indeed God's Word. Um, we hear it ever so often. Um, today we have with us our guest, our brother David Andrews. Brother David Andrews is the recording brother for the Georgetown Ecclesia, Guyana, which is in South America. And today um, he's our guest and he'll be, we'll be having a conversation on proofs of the Bible, that it is indeed God's word. Um, you know, so many times we hear that, you know, you ask somebody why they trust the Bible, they tell you it's God's word. You ask them to prove to you beyond a reasonable doubt that it's God's word, and most times they can't. They quote from the book itself to tell you that the book is God's word. Um, so today we'll be looking at different archaeological and prophecy that proves to introduce the Bible as God's word. All right, Brother David, welcome, and it's good to have you today with us. Um, so my first question to you, Brother David, um, is why, why, do you, why do you trust and love the Bible? Thank you, Brother Tremol, for sharing this opportunity to bring the Word of God uh, to all our listeners. Um, I want to commend you on taking this initiative because in this age of podcasts, it's, it, it's a wonderful opportunity that we can use online technology to share in the Word. Referring your question, why do I trust and love the Bible? It's very interesting, and I like your opening remarks to the extent that it makes us think that we've got to go beyond just what we were taught as children. And there comes a time when we've got to mature and come to our own conclusions why we love the Bible and why we can trust it. Well, here are a few points that I would like to present for consideration. This is why I love and trust the Bible. First of all, it helps me to understand the limitations of my mortal life. It helps me to understand that there are limitations in this mortal life. And of course, needless am I just saying that, but the reasons from the scriptures could be found in Psalm 1, 46, verse 2, which I will read. The psalmist says, While I live, will I praise the Lord. I will sing praises unto my God while I have any being. Put not your trust in, in princes, and the other term for princes today may be politicians, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. His breath goeth forth. He returneth to his earth. In that very day his thoughts perish. So all our plans, our schemes, our thinking perish when we die. And this gives me a sense of understanding who I am, what I'm capable of doing and not capable of doing, and to understand that everything the Bible plainly tells us ends in death. Isaiah, sorry, James, the letter of James, chapter 4, verse 13, goes further. It says, 
come now. Those saying that tomorrow or today we will go to such a city and spend a year there, we will trade and make a profit, who do not know of the morrow. For what is your life? It is a vapor which appears for a little time and just disappears. James here is comparing your, our mortal life to a vapor. Then we know what a vapor is. You put a pot on the stove and if you take too long, you go back to the stove, the, the, the pot is going to be empty and the fire is going to totally destroy the pot. All the water in there turned to vapor. So that is our life. It has an expiry date. It has a shelf life. So the knowledge of this helps us to understand that we are given a certain amount of time to understand what the world is all about and do something about it. One more. Here's First Peter chapter 1, verse 24. It says, All flesh is grass, and all the glory of men as the flower of the grass. Same idea as the vapor. It's, it's in the morning it looks beautiful it lasts a little while and uh, after a few days the sun wilts it and then it no longer is beautiful as you originally um, witnessed secondly my second reason for loving the bible is its frankness and it bring of bringing the joy to us of a light of a hope of life beyond the grave it shows us not that there's only there's a hope of life beyond the grave, but that it is the only hope of life beyond the grave. In Gospel John chapter 5, verse 28, Jesus himself says this marvel, not as this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. This sounds pretty much as though he was quoting Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. Again, in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, that is supporting the, the, the hope that the Bible gives us beyond the grave. It says, There is salvation in no other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And thirdly, the word of God helps me to understand the root cause of all evil. That is that that root cause is man's own selfish desires. James 1.14 says, Every man is tempted when drawn away with his own lust and enticed. When lust is conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. And as we all know, in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And finally, in Mark 7.21, Jesus says, From within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts and adulteries and fornications, murders, etc. So from these three things, which I will briefly recap, it, the, the scriptures is very frank in telling me that my life is limited. When I die, I die. All my thoughts and my schemes perish. But it gives me hope beyond the grave. And that is so wonderful. It also helps me on, to understand that I need to manage my flesh. Because the root cause lies within me as a human. Thank you for that. Brother David, and I'm sure many of you listening at home right now, you're able to think about why you love the Bible, um, as we all do. So, but the question I pose to you now, um, you may love it, but, and I want you to, to think to yourself now, if I'm to ask you this, what proofs do you have 
that it is God's word. I want you to pause for a minute and to, to ask yourselves this. What, what would you say to me as I'm saying, asking you the question now? What proofs would you present to me? Saying I'm an unbeliever, how would you prove to me that the Bible is God's word? Um, and I'm now going to leave that task to Brother David. Brother David, is there any proofs that the Bible is God's word? And um, what proofs do you have? Oh, there, there are an endless number of proofs that the word of God can be trusted and that it, you stand on a good foundation when you read its pages for guidance in your life. And uh, the main reasons I have for that is that it has foretold the, the history of the nation of Israel, particularly that God is going to scatter them and that same God, the only true God Almighty in the fullness of time is going to bring them back to the very land from which he scattered them. Now that is like saying America is going to, United States of America is going to break up next year and after endless years they're going to be brought back by the hand of God. I mean who's going to put any trust in that? We are able to see with hindsight that these things did come to pass. So it's one thing to say it, it's another thing to put your trust in it and to place your decisions, let your decisions and your mindset be framed by those kinds of promises. But we, thank be to God, are able to look back on more than 2,000 years of history and see that this prophecy in the scripture actually came to pass. For we, told in, we are told in Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah chapter 31, which was written over 2,500 years ago, here's what it says concerning this prophecy that God would scatter the nation of Israel. Who was the apple of his eye? If they misbehave, he's going to scatter them into all corners of the earth, but he's going to bring them back. Jeremiah 31, 10 says, Hear the word of the Lord, O ye nations, and declare it in the islands of Pharaoh. And say, he that scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. Now, as I said, this prophecy was made over 2,000 years ago. Roughly 2,500 years, actually. And if we were to trace the course of history of Israel, we find that even though they were God's people, God gave them the power of choice to do good and to do evil just as he did for Adam and Eve in the garden God doesn't want robots because robots cannot glorify God and God will give us his law and tell us what will happen if we obey them and what will happen if we disobey them unfortunately in the passage of time Israel as a nation fell into conflict with God's word and they disobeyed his laws and went further and further into disobedience and apostasy. And a righteous God was compelled to keep his promise. He scattered them in the year, particularly in the year AD 70, which marked, as a matter of fact, the end of the Jewish age. He scattered them into all parts of the world. Yes, even in Guyana. And I had... You can hear from us, and that is another subject, that Jews came as far as the Caribbean over the years, over the 2,000 years. They were persecuted 
and they had no choice but to flee to different corners of the earth. And Jesus told them that this would happen. He, he says in, uh, that would be Luke chapter 21, at verse 20, Jesus told his disciples at a time when Herod's temple was very beautiful, the stones were adorned with jewels, and nobody could have believed such a one of the most beautiful edifices in all the Middle East would one day turn to nothing, to dust. Here's what Jesus says while he walked the face of the earth. He says, when you see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. And if we go over to verse 21, he says, Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let them which are in the midst of it, that is in the middle of the city of, of Jerusalem, do not de depart out, and let not them that are in the countries enter into, that's into the city. For these be the days of vengeance, vengeance that God has promised for their sin, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. Verse 23, but warn to them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. For they shall be great distress in the land. That's in the land of Israel. And wrath upon this people for their disobedience. So we see they had reached a point where the cup of evil was overflowing. And that was it. God didn't want to act before. But when that cup of evil, that is the unrighteousness, the cup of unrighteousness was filled God had to keep his promise to scatter them. Not abandon them altogether, but to scatter them so that when they're scattered abroad, they will take the time to come to their senses. Verse 24 reads, Jesus speaking again, You shall fall by the edge of the sword, that's the nation of Israel to scattered, and they will be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Would you imagine that? In AD 70, the Romans came. General Titus came with his armies and decimated the city. Some in the siege, some women, we are told, ate their children alive. It was terrible. Hundreds of thousands of people died. Not only in, in, in Jerusalem, but in Judea as well. It was a slaughter. And those who could run, they ran. And over the course of 2,000 years, there was no rest for the soles of their feet. As Moses had prophesied years before, he says, In the night you would say, Oh, to God, it were morning. And in the morning you said, Oh, to God, it were night, so that they can run and hide in the dark. That's how bad it was, and it came to pass. But that's, what the, that's not the end of the story. It was, it was not until the year... Uh, 19, well, I should say 1897, that many of the Jews decide that they're running anymore. They are going to go, they want a land of restoration and they're going to go back to the land of their forefathers. And a man by the name of Theodore Herzl uh, started what was called the Zionist movement that started the Jews, particularly in Europe, and there are Jews all over the world, particularly in Europe. To go back because they were very wealthy but they were settled in Europe and they did not want to return and God brought up men like Hitler and Mussolini to, to persecute them and they says they're not running anymore they're going back to Jerusalem and to the land of Israel and in 1917 the land of Israel was under the 
under the, the, the authority of the Turkish Empire, but the, God caused the Turks to lose in the Second World War to Britain, and Britain gave the mandate for the Jews to go back to their homeland. While the Arabs are still there, they were to cohabit and to live in that land, but they, they weren't independent, and they, they had to literally fight even the British for their independence. And they became independent in the year 1948, May 1948, under the Prime Minister David Ben-Gurion. Well, that is, the, that is the main thing I would like to say about prophecy. And of course, we have church history. The Bible tells us about church history in the book of Revelation. From chapters 4 right down to the end, we are able to see how the church will develop and it will go into apostasy until the return of the Lord Jesus. So that's from about AD 90 on to now. It says in Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave to him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel to, to his servant John. So I would like to leave those points for consideration that um, this gives me reason um, to see that the prophecies in the scriptures actually were fulfilled. Thank you for that, Brother David. Um, uh, so we've just heard from our Brother David as he deliberated on the biblical prophecy, um, showing us, especially with the Jewish diaspora, showing how God had prophesied and God had told the Jews, you know, if they disobeyed him, that he would scatter them. And indeed, he did scatter them. And he showed us in the final scattering in AD 70. And the, 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 the significant part is also of God telling the Jews that I will also regather you. And uh, as we read it of the, the Jewish history, we can almost, we, we should get goosebumps as we see so many trials. We saw six million were killed by Hitler. We see the Six-Day War and they were able to survive all these things. And many men have tried to wipe the race out entirely, but they've survived. And God said that he will preserve them. And God said that he will bring them back. And it's fascinating to see the word of God before these things occurred was able to, you know, show us. All right, uh, that's a, a look at uh, prophecy. Um, is there any scientific evidence? I mean, we see in Egypt, um, there's so much tombs and things that we can find of, of the kings and the pharaohs of Egypt because we know they're there for sure because their artifacts are there. Is there any archaeological proofs that can prove that these biblical characters actually existed? Yes, again, there are several but I want to go down a better road than just biblical characters. I want to make reference to a discovery that was made in 1947, a discovery of what became famously known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. This is such an iconic discovery that it has left even doubters of the scriptures confounded. The Dead Sea Scrolls are scrolls or books, long ago, books weren't written by leaves of paper that you would turn over page one to page two. They were just one continuous form of parchment that was rolled up by the two ends. And I think you, you will get the picture of what a scroll is. Um, if you can think of that, two poles of wood, and you roll the paper up and they, you bring them together. 
it is called a scroll and we scroll we make scrolls of other things now people who scroll up the garage doors <laughs> so you get the idea what we're talking about the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in caves of Qumran between 1946 and 1947. Now, all along, detractors from the scriptures were saying that those things that were written by Isaiah, Jeremiah, all those prophecies upon which Christians put their faith, they said, oh, you see those things? Those things were scrawled the other day. Maybe to fool slaves. The, the Jews love to write stories. And they are not worth putting your trust in them. They're not really that old. Well, leaders of the Christian world had to contend with those accusations for many years. But then came a time when God caused this wonderful piece of evidence to be presented to the world, what I'm calling the Dead Sea Scrolls. In brief, this is what happened. Some shepherd boys, they're looking after their flocks in the Dead Sea area in Israel. That is some, uh, you know where the Dead Sea is? They said it's the lowest part on earth in Israel, in the southern part of Israel, southeastern part of Israel. And playfully, these young chaps were pelting into holes on the mountainside. You know how boys do, they like, they like to pelt bricks and so on. And surprisingly, one of those bricks seemed to hit and give a metallic sound. And it sounded very strange. So the guys continued pelting, and when they heard these, continued to hear these sounds, they decided to climb up the side of the hills, the mountains, to see what could have been the cause of it. And when they investigated, lo and behold, what they found, a whole set, numerous clay jars filled with scrolls. Well, they couldn't do anything about it because they were not educated to know how valuable these scrolls are, what work they really had. They were just shepherds. So they went back to the town there by Qumran and they brought the educated folks, the wise, the, the, the elders of the, of the village and so on. And they were able to publicize the fact that these things were found. In the end, they ended up in the British Museum because when they checked the dating for these scrolls, they found that they were many of them were over 2,000 years old. 2,000 years old. The books of Isaiah is a particularly famous one. When they found them, the tractor says, Ah, well, now we will able, we would be able to establish that Isaiah being written 2,500 years ago, pure lies. And when it was carbon dated, they found that those books, those scrolls were actually made even before Jesus was born. More than 2,000 years before. People were dumbfounded. They had no answer for that. And of course, those scrolls are preserved until today. You can, you can Google it and see uh, that indeed, it is factual, and it has been a, 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 an inestimable boost to those who love the Word of God, put their trust in it, but had no actual tangible proof other than observable evidence, as I showed you just now in the scattering and regathering of Israel. 
this is was literal scientific hard evidence that these books that many people read in the Bible were there they actually existed they were thousands of years old and they compared them with the books that we are right that we read in the Bible today King James Version you name it and they found that they compared accurately word for word how amazing that is one would expect even if you find these books of Isaiah and Jeremiah whatever it is that you would have the opportunity to show that the Bible is corrupted it cannot be trusted and after these many years people inserted different things to their own appreciation nothing of nothing like that was the case word for word to the extent that it left many people dumbfounded so we can say that over the years the, the translations into various languages of the scriptures that we come to call the word of god has been proven to be accurate the men honored god in the precise steps they took in translating that word into various languages in the world so you can be fairly confident that what you have today in your hand is the bible that the prophets wrote and that jesus read on the sabbath day and others read throughout the past 2000 years i like to offer that as a wonderful piece of scientific history that you can google and establish for yourself thank you for that brother david uh, and that was our brother david telling us about the dead sea scroll which uh proves indeed uh, the bible is god's word a very interesting archaeological find and it was actually found by accident and well i would say not by accident but by god's will to prove his word um i'd like to add on the part of prophecy one of my favorite prophecies um singing from ezekiel 26 um yes all right um yes taken from ezekiel 26 uh Therefore, thus says the Lord God, say I'm against you, O Tyre. I will hurl many nations against you, as the sea hurls its waves. They shall destroy the walls of Tyre and break down its tower. I will scrape its soil from it and make it a bare rock. It shall become in the midst of the sea a place for the spreading of nets. I have spoken, says the Lord God. It shall become plunder for the nations. Ezekiel 26, 3-5. Um, I think that's a fascinating prophecy and one of my favorites. And... Um, but David, have you ever heard of this one? Oh yes, that is a major one. But I uh, um, was uh, being a little, um, what should I say, going easy on the time, um, watching to see whether I can include that subsequently as one of the major proofs that we have today. Here's something that you can, uh, you and I can Google. We can jump in a plane if COVID, if the COVID rules would allow us, and we can go to a place called Syria and Lebanon, the borders are a little shifted today, and you will find the evidence of what uh, Brother uh, Trimol has just read for you that was written in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel again, written roughly the time of Jeremiah, about 2,500 years ago, God had prophesied against this Gentile nation called Tyre as well as Sidon God had prophesied against them that they had allowed themselves 
to be lifted up because of the great success in trade and in commerce. And their, their hearts were not right toward God. Their hearts were not right to the heavenly maker. God is a God of the Jew as well as of the Gentile. So I will just reread a bit what Brother Trimble said for you just now. It is in the prophecy through Ezekiel chapter 26 from verses 3 to 5. Therefore thus said the Lord God, Behold, I'm against you, O Tyre, and will cause many nations to come up against you. This is to punish them. God punishes nations when they step too far to the line. As the sea causes his waves to come up. Verse 4, they shall destroy, listen carefully, these nations that will come up against Tyre, that God will cause to come up against Tyre, they shall destroy the walls of Tyre and break down their towers. I will also scrape her dust from her and make her like the top of a rock. It shall be a place for the spreading of nets in the midst of the sea. For I have spoken it, said the Lord God, and it shall become spoiled to the nations. Believe it or not, I have seen photographs and I've googled it and see that this, this prophecy literally came to pass. It actually came to pass because of what Alexander, Alexander the Great uh, did when he invaded Tyre sometime around the, the year 332. 332 BC. Yeah. All right. Alexander the Great. Well, you know, he 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 was one of the great kings um, in world history, and he was moving through with his army, and he came against this city, Tyre, that was so successful, and they gave him a very hard time. They refused to surrender, and it took Alexander. We read in the history seven months to find a way to conquer this city. What the people of Tyre did when they saw the armies coming, they got in their ships and traveled to an offshore island and they rebuilt the city of Tyre over there. So when Alexander came, he found almost nothing. But to make a long story short, he was so angry, he broke down the walls of that old city on the mainland, took their houses and the stones for their temples, whatever, threw it into the sea, and connected up the mainland to the island. I noticed in the record, it says that this causeway, this bridge that he made in the sea, was something like 2,600 feet long. And about nine, six to nine hundred feet wide, just to gain access to go across there. And when he reached the cross, the, across, he slaughtered them in his anger because of uh, the, the the hard time that they had given he, they had given him to conquer them. It says after the tongues captured, about ten thousand inhabitants were put to death, and about thirty thousand were sold into slavery. But the part I want to tell you is this part about how he broke up the old city and then the stones of the buildings that were destroyed he made this causeway this bridge today my dear friends you can go with your camera or you can google it and see those stones forming the causeway it's something we need to see after a time they're still there and there is it is a place 
for the hanging out of nets of fishermen after they go fishing they come back to that very place and they would spread they wash the nets and they'll spread them out on the rock to dry guess what it says i will also scrape her dust from her and make her like the top of a rock it shall be a place for the spreading of nets in the midst of the sea for i have spoken it i would like to also just quote verse 12 of the same ezekiel 26 they shall make a spoil of thy riches that is alexander it didn't name alexander but the nation that would come against it which is greece i'll make a spoil of thy riches and make a prey of thy merchandise that is they will loot them and they shall break down thy walls destroy the pleasant houses and they shall lay thy stones and thy timber and thy dust in the midst of the water i cannot think of any Thing that could be more precise than this that can stand the test of 2,000 years of history 2,500 years of history well, 2,300 something plus years it is amazing so I would like to offer that as dependable evidence that what the Bible says in Ezekiel about the destruction of Tyre and Sidon actually came the pass. I mean, if we were to read that in today's newspaper, that this is going to happen to one of the big cities of the world, Tokyo, London, New York, Los Angeles, nobody is going to give a serious attention. They said it's a madman who wrote this. Well, we are able to look back and see and have scientific uh, um, uh, uh, confirmation that what was written there came to pass and can be trusted. Thank you very much for that, Brother David, and thank you so much for being with us here at Truth Incorporated and uh, going through the proofs of the Bible. And I think the end prophecy was, that's such an amazing one, of, one one of my favorites. It shows of the the detail that God went into to tell Tyre, you know, that I will throw your rocks into the sea and it shall be a place to spread in nets. And it's just a Google away that we can see the fulfillment that when fishermen's boat from Lebanon and from Syria come in, they lay their, their nets on those very same rocks that Alexander would have broken down so many years ago. And it just shows the, the greatness of God's word. We looked at the we looked also at the Dead Sea Scrolls and there are other things like the Tel Dan Steel, which is a stone up until nineteen ninety three. Uh, it was said that David was a fictional king until they found the stone they call the Tel Dan Steel which has an, has an inscription of the house of David when Je Jehoram was king. So there's so many proofs out there and there is so many pr prophecy and there is so many archaeological finds that indeed prove the word of God. And all of the skeptics and all of those that don't believe, they have no proof to discourage the word of God because God had already proven his word. And that had brought us to the end and I hope that you would have learned something and I asked you to ponder and ask me what, to, what you would have said to me. Um, I hope that this now gauges your um, knowledge so that when somebody else asks you what proofs do you have that you can have these. And this is not all. There are many, many, many more proofs out there. Um, of course, we can't go through all because of time. All right. So we thank our brother David once again for coming with us. And... Um, Yes, so in our next episode, we'll be looking at, this concludes the, the biblical part of our, well, the study of the Bible, that is. Um, in our next episode, we'll be looking at, at exploring of God, his nature, his plan, etc. 
So next week we'll be next week we'll be exploring uh, who the God of Israel is or who the God of the Bible, who he really is. Um, I thank you for listening and do remember to follow our page on Facebook at Truth Incorporated, um, on Instagram at T underscore Incorp. That is T underscore I N C O R P. And any questions you have, please feel free to private DM us, uh, message us on WhatsApp, or email us. All of our information are found in both our Facebook and on our Instagram page. Uh, please feel free, and any question you have will be featured in our upcoming episode. And uh, yes, peace until we meet again. <laughs>